0: Hello, Vitality Explorers. This is Dr. Alan Mishra with another edition of the Vitality Explorer News Podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to enhance global vitality one person at a time. So if you like what you're listening to, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. We always like to start the podcast with a quote, and this one is from Robert F. Kennedy, and here it is. Quote, only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. So this week, we're going to talk about, like we typically do, three things on the podcast. And there's a special one. that's a first uh, guest post on Vitality Explorer News from my friend and former classmate, Uh, Dr. Joseph Stern, and he uh, wrote a little post about a pathway to resilience and vitality that I will be reading. We're also gonna talk about executing on greatness, and then we're gonna finish with three lessons learned from my platelet-rich plasma and tennis elbow research. So again, our secondary goal after enhancing Vitality is to take the friction out of staying vital and help you make deposits into your Vitality bank account. So that's why we provide this information in multiple formats. Formats You can find it on Vitality Explorer News on Substack. You can also sign up at VitalityExplorers.com to receive a free text message newsletter that comes to your phone every Monday morning. And please consider becoming a paid subscriber to Vitality Explorer news on Substack to gain access to over 350 scientific posts and podcasts. All right, let's jump into a path to resilience and vitality. And again, this is a post on Vitality Explorer, uh, Vitality, Vitality Explorer Substack site by Dr. Joseph Stern. Dr. Stern and I went to the University of Michigan Medical School together. Uh, we recently reconnected. He is a clinical assistant professor of neurosurgery at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine and also author of Grief Connects Us. You can find that on Amazon. It's a wonderful book. I'm very, very excited to connect, re- connect and reconnect with Dr. Stern. Uh, and I want to read it because this is his post, but I'm going to read it to you here about why vital people are resilient. And so here it is. Um, Many people think you have to be tough and invulnerable to be resilient, like solid oaks weathering a storm. You might ask, are vulnerable people more or less resilient? It turns out people who allow themselves to be vulnerable are actually more resilient. They are more flexible and adaptable, like supple balls that bend and but don't break in heavy winds. Far from a sign of weakness, vulnerability is actually a sign of strength. So that's the first paragraph in Dr. Stern's post. But I think we can learn a lot from this. Vulnerability is actually a sign of strength. And he goes on to say, quote, this seeming paradox at the heart of, is at the heart of becoming your most vital self. The stance, uh, this, this idea that big boys don't cry is maladaptive and does us harm. We are often taught we need to block intense feelings to be effective and and more grown up. And putting them aside allows us to be more objective and mature than detachment and psychological safety. But it turns out that it's far healthier to be in touch with our emotions than it is to keep them at bay. Let me say that again, I love this. It is far healthier to be in touch with our emotions than to keep them at bay. And here he goes on, quote, we are healthier and stronger letting things like sadness, grief, sorrow in instead of trying to unsuccessfully push them away. Um, letting, letting them go, you know, at times defending ourselves against our emotion consumes a ton of energy. Maintaining these defenses takes work and keeps us apart. Letting, letting them go enriches us and allows them to connect more meaningful ourselves and others. So Dr. Stern is imploring us, to be vulnerable, understanding that vulnerability is a paradox that can actually lead to a more vital self. And I think we, he, he goes on to talk about this. He said, like, we develop many unhealthy habits in the service of protecting ourselves from what we perceive to be negative emotions that cause us to discomfort like grief and sadness. So he goes on to talk about this concept of how can we reverse it? And here is, here's the genius of what Dr. Stern is trying to teach us. Quote, developing emotional agility, agility, and he calls it a learnable skill, allows us to experience a range of emotions without becoming blocked or stuck. We gain greater flexibility and emotional range. We come to see life's beauty is inseparable from its fragility. We Become better able to experience the highs and lows of life more intensely as we have gone from seeing in black and white to suddenly seeing in color. Let me say that again. We, we become better able to experience the highs and lows of life more intensely as we have gone from seeing in black and white to suddenly seeing in color. Quote, part of this is by being fully present and fully engaging in lived experiences instead of focusing on past or future worries. Planning and uh, Planning and regret rob us of now. All right. So Dr. Stern and I, again, we're classmates at the University of Michigan. We have recently reconnected. He's a neurosurgeon. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and we are talking a lot about the same thing. But he also adds this massive, massively important concept of emotional agility. And I I encourage people to read more about it on there. But I want to finish with something else that he and I have both connected on, and that is forgiveness. And here's here's how he describes it. Quote, we need to allow ourselves greater forgiveness, both for ourselves and others. Failure is an unavoidable part of life. It makes us more human. Forgiveness allows us to acknowledge and accept failure, to learn and grow. Without this, we allow fear and regret to dictate our choices and pull back from full engagement. We often suffer alone instead of forging bonds with friends, family, and those we love. We need to offer and seek help more freely. Courage and compassion are important for allowing us to face painful and difficult emotions, to hold them close rather than push them away. In the end, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and gain emotional agility makes us more, not less resilient and vital. Wow. Now I just read you a portion of what Dr. Stern wrote on the Vitality Explorer new Substack site, the title that is a path to resilience and vitality. I encourage you to read the entire post to consider checking out his book uh, on Amazon. It's a phenomenal book to read and it's called Grief Connects Us. Like to move on to the second part of this as we've learned now to be a little bit more emotionally agile and and learned about resilience as a pathway to vitality. And the second thing we're gonna talk about today is executing on greatness. And I really think that all of us <clears throat> Excuse me, are prepared for greatness. And you know, I think we can think of a lot of different terms, of what does that really mean? Uh, but I had to look it up again. I always like to look up words that I'm, I know, but I want to make sure I get the precise uh, definition. And so greatness means to have significance, value, and/or distinction. It means to have significance, value, and/or distinction. And here are some thoughts I want us to contemplate in the context of our unique greatness. I think we've all been working towards this exact time in our lives. The now, as we were talking about before a few weeks ago, or as Dr. Stern was talking about in the concept of emotional agility. We've enjoyed times of triumph. We've endured times of pain, adversity, and uncertainty, and we've worked hard and accomplished much. We've also worked hard and failed. All right, and I think we should consider Oprah's recommendation with regard to failure or past betrayals, and that, that is to quote, turn your, wounds into wisdom. Turn your wounds into wisdom. And that's from Oprah Winfrey. Now some of our dreams have come true. Some of them are still on the horizon. Some seem like they're out of reach or potentially even impossible. But I have a a Vitality Explorer suggestion for us today. So again, we try to reduce things to specific actionable pieces of of advice. And here it is for today. Pause for a moment, more than a moment. Pause for about I know it's probably 1,200 seconds because 1,000 seconds is about 17 minutes, but pause for a moment and turn your phone off for 20 minutes. Just think about what you could do with your own greatness. Think about it Then sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and write down what life has prepared you to do. Write down your strengths, your weaknesses, write down your triumphs and write down your failures. Okay? It's a very difficult task to to do, but it's also a very important task to pause for a little while. And then consider Rumi, a 13th century poet and scholar, I think, who helps us on our journey to greatness. And here's what he said, quote, What you seek is seeking you. What you seek is seeking you. I think Rumi might have been Yoda's distant ancient cousin, okay? But what you seek is seeking you is very important. We're all out there in the universe trying to identify what can we do with our own set of personal talents or whatever we have brought to this world. And I learned a lot from my Stanford Vitality students on the meaning of greatness. I used to only think, oh my God, greatness has to be flying to the, you know, Mars on a rocket or curing cancer. But greatness comes in a variety of different ways. Greatness comes in taking care of a sick child or a parent or a friend or spouse. Greatness comes from making sacrifices in the context of helping others in need. Greatness also comes by believing in yourself and others. It's a very important concept to believe in yourself and believe in others. Greatness comes in being thankful for just what we have, whatever that is. Greatness comes from seeking growth from pain. And I like this one. Greatness comes when you embrace the three princes of serendip. So that has to do with serendipity. But uh, I think we can pause today, nourish ourselves with the knowledge that we are prepared for greatness. Now I'm really what I would call an indomitable optimist. I've, I've been that way my, my entire life, but I also suffer from times of doubt. And I think when you have those times of doubt or when you fail, instead of just giving yourself a failing grave, give yourself an incomplete when you don't optimally execute. We all need grace at sometimes. We need to make sure that we give ourselves some grace and those people around us. And remember, the confidence waver, our confidence can waver over time, but faith can con- conquer both fear and doubt. So I continue to believe that all of this can contribute to making our world better in our own unique ways. And I think also that we need to take some time off, or you know, take our foot off the gas and just relax and give ourselves a break. And <clears throat> I was at best a mediocre basketball player, but there was one little story I'd like to tell you. I was playing in a pickup game one time, and I stole the ball. There was, you know, a couple guys in front of me, and I'm not the best dribbler. And there's literally, I'm like, oh god, I got a chance because I'm, I'm ahead of them, sort of. One guy's catching up to me, and I didn't. I, I want to admit that I didn't do it on purpose, but I stutter stepped. I kept dribbling. I wasn't traveling, but I stutter stepped on the way to the basket both the guys went flying past me and then I made an easy layup. And what I learned from that is, first of all, I wish I could do that on, on demand, um, but the stopping and the stuttering, stutter step opened up the lane for me to make an easy layup. And what I'm suggesting is that occasionally hesitation, occasionally just pausing, taking a break, can help us to discover a new and exciting pathway or a simpler way uh, to get there. And also we need, we need time, downtime. Um, Downtime to take a break and recharge your Vitality batteries. But when you're finished recharging your, your batteries, get back to executing on your greatness. So again, I'd encourage you to leave your comments on the Vitality Explorer new Substack site uh, or below if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, you can find the details of this on uh, on that on the Vitality Explorer new Substack site. Again, you can sign up for Vitality. The newsletter that comes to your phone and a text message for free at VitalityExplorers.com. And I want to finish with something, you know, that's, uh, I, I get to do this several times per year, but when you're listening to this podcast, this is what I, part of what I'm giving to a international regenerative medicine meeting, uh, in Las Vegas on June 9th. And so the, the slides, some of the slides from my actual presentation to hundreds of doctors from all over the world, uh, are available there. I wanted to share, uh, three lessons I learned from researching PRP or platelet-rich plasma and tennis elbow for over 15 years. That was my task in the assigned, uh, when I was assigned a, a, this keynote speech for this regenerative medicine meeting. And as, as long-term ballers or Vitality Explorer News know, I try to share with this audience when I get to do crazy awesome things like go to Cambridge University and give a talk or speak in front of academic all-American football players, I think that's part of uh, the joy of trying to share some of these experiences with this audience. So the slides will be posted or were posted because this podcast will come out after the slides and the the Vitality News Explorer post will be on Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So I've been researching PRP for tennis elbow and a variety of other things for more than 15 years. But the first paper I published was in 2006 in the American Journal of Sports Medicine. And it was called The Treatment of Chronic Tennis Elbow with Buffered Platelet-Rich Plasma. All right. And here are the three lessons that I've learned since the publication of that um, first paper. Number one, follow through on your intuition. Number two, persistence defeats doubt. Number three, closeness counts. All right. So I originally had a really powerful intuitive sense that PRP could potentially help treat tennis elbow, which is a chronic uh, degenerative disorder of the outside part of your elbow. Now, A lot of people think it's just the tendon. There's a lot of different things going on there, but the typical way to treat that was with things like cortisone injections, anti-inflammatory medications, physical therapy, um, and surgery if those if those failed. So way back, In the early 2000s, around 2005, 2004, trying to treat tennis elbow with PRP was completely novel. Okay, so I knew that this might work, but I had to design a trial and and figure it out. Because if you're going to make a claim about something new, some new piece of information, you have to have some data to back it up. All right, so what, what we did is we, we took 140 patients, and those 140 patients, 20 of them, so that's only 15%, this is important detail here, because it wasn't everybody who had tennis elbow. It was only those people who had failed non-operative treatment and were considering surgery. So 20 out of um, 140, or about 15%, and then they were <clears throat> assigned to either PRP or control group. And I'll, I'll cut to the final, final uh, endpoint was that at an average of over two years of follow-up, the PRP patients reported a 93% reduction in pain with a very statistically significant p-value of less than 0.0001. So again, this was just a pilot trial, but that pilot trial pointed in the right direction. And unbeknownst to me, without any uh, direct collaboration, a researcher and orthopedic surgeon in the Netherlands named Taco Gosen, great first name. Taco's a friend of mine. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly what he likes in his tacos, but they did a prospective randomized trial of PRP uh, using the same type of PRP, leukocyte-rich PRP, um, and found that at two years, PRP had an 85% success rate compared to a cortisone injection of 25%. Again, that was very statistically significant at 0.001. And this was published in the American Journal of Sports Medicine in 2011. Despite those two pieces of evidence, there was significant doubt about the value of PRP, but that unearthed a massive wave of people, especially professional athletes who were interested in it. And then something happened in 2009 that skyrocketed the interest in in PRP. One of them was uh, Pittsburgh Steelers Receiver Heinz Ward was injected with PRP just before the Super Bowl. He went on to catch a pass, I think, in the second play of the Super Bowl. The Steelers went on to win that game, and then the New York Times published uh, an article, uh, not in the sports section, but literally on the front page of the New York Times, uh, called "A Promising Treatment for Athletes, Comma in Blood." So the combination of those two things caused. I believe a massive uptick in the interest in PRP. And in about that time frame, I was beginning to work on the uh, definitive trial to try and figure out whether PRP worked. Um, and this was a prospective randomized trial of 230 patients, 12 centers across the United States. And that one was almost seven years of my life from the beginning of designing it to the publication. But here's here's the uh, here is the bottom line from that paper. It's at 82% success rate for PRP, very similar to the Taco Gosen paper from the Netherlands, and a 60% success rate for an active control group of dry needling. And that was also statistically significant. And I thought that was only okay, but you know, 82% success rate means that 18% failure rate in the PRP group. But in the in the group that received just the dry needling, which was the control group for this study. Uh, there was almost a 40% failure rate. So I think those two, those three papers together provided significant evidence to suggest that PRP was meaningful. Um, uh, analysis of, of all the papers available now suggests that PRP is a very reasonable treatment for people who are considering surgery. And then earlier this year in 2023, there was a, another article published called the 50 most cited research articles in elbow surgery, a modern reading list. And I was delighted to hear that the first paper I published, the treatment of chronic tennis elbow with buffered PRP, was the number one most cited article since 2000. So the number one most cited article in the 21st century and the number five most cited elbow surgery article of all time. So that was fantastic. I was excited about that. I hope I have made a contribution towards uh, the regenerative medicine research by doing all this work. But there was something that trumped that the publication of the papers or even the citation of that papers and that is the people that i met along the way all right and the final lesson that i learned is closeness counts and i've traveled over the course of the last 15 years to six continents i've I've connected in person or via email with clinicians and researchers all over the world again you can see all the details of these things i'm talking about in the vitality explorer new substack site including a map of the world with the little red dots of where I have been, and and I really am proud of the publication of the papers, but I treasure the people that I've met even more. And the memories of the connections I made, I think are gonna last a lifetime. And one of them led to meeting you know, a researcher and clinician in Mumbai, India, probably six or seven years ago. That led to me being able to uh, speak about PRP and Vitality at Cambridge last year at about exactly this time. So. The idea of, of learning from the research of the 15 years of doing this and the lessons of following through on your intuition, it's not just good enough to have this intuitive sense that something may work. You need to follow through and do the hard work to provide the evidence to suggest it would be helpful. Second is that if you really believe in something, persistence can defeat doubt. So over, over the many, many years I've been doing this now, there have been a lot of doubters who've said that PRP doesn't work. But now we have multiple peer-reviewed published papers that are double-blind prospective randomized trials showing that PRP works especially well for tennis elbow and also in some contexts, for, knee osteoarthritis. Um, we're going to talk more about some of the, some of what I learned about this next week, but the final one, the most important one, no matter wh- whether you're in medical research or whatever business or whatever life pattern you have, remember that closeness counts the most. Um, again, this week we've learned about a pathway to resilience and vitality. We've learned about how to execute on our greatness. I would finish by talking about the three lessons I learned from researching PRP and tennis elbow for more than 15 years. I hope this has been meaningful. I hope it for at least one person out there, and maybe a million, I don't know. uh, And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get the podcast. Please share this widely with your friends, family, and coworkers. And until next time, get out there, execute on your greatness, and dare to... vital. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful week.